us a favor. If you look in the pew back in front of you or in the chair next to you, you'll see a guest information card. We're going to ask that you take that, fill it out, drop it in the offering plate here in just a few minutes or in the box straight through those double doors in the back there in the foyer. It tells us a little bit more information about you. also tells us ways we can pray for you, so if you don't mind filling that out for us. also gives us just a record of your visit here today. Verse of the month or a focus verse on these green cards that are there in the foyer as well as out here through this door uh, outside the restrooms. I'm going to read that for us today. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the day. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful weather that we have outside. God, we thank you that we are able just to wake up for the, for the breath in our lungs. But Lord, more than the day, God, today, I thank you for what it signifies. Lord, for that empty tomb. God, we thank you for the hour of Sunday school that we've already had as we've been reading about the empty tomb and then sharing what that means. Lord, I ask that you be with our praise team as they continue to, to lead us in worship. Help us to lift our voices in praise to you, Lord. God, I ask that you be Brother Justin here in just a few minutes, God. Fill him with the word that you would have to share with us, and Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive it. God, I thank you for the blessings you give us each and every day, but Lord, we, we especially thank you for the empty tomb, for sending your son to die on that cross, the death that we deserve. Lord, we thank you that he rose three days later. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to be coming through the aisles, picking up the offering. We're going to continue in worship. Let's all stand. As we're singing in worship today, Lord, I just pray that, that we would forget all the people around us, that we would focus on God as we're singing these songs, that remind us of how great he is, how good he is, the love that he has for us. Um, so just remove yourself from where you're at right now and just focus on his face.
This time, with pre-K through third grade, pre-K through third grade, line up at this door off to your right. They're going to go to Children's Church. We're going to worship with one more song, probably one of my most favorite worship songs, What a Beautiful Name. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we give you praise and honor and glory this morning for being such a good, gracious Heavenly Father to each one of us. Lord, I, I praise you this morning for sending your Son through love to this earth to live the perfect life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve, to be the sacrifice, the perfect Lamb 
for our sins and our transgressions against you. Lord, I pray this morning for any lost souls that are in your house that don't have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would tug on their souls, that you would open up their eyes, that you would soften their hearts, and Lord, that they would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you pour out on us each and every day. When we, for, when we sin against you, Lord, you're, you're faithful to forgive us. And Lord, you're always there with your hand, waiting for us to grab it. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory this morning. I lift up Brother Justin to you. I pray for your words and your wisdom to flow through him. We pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for being here on this day to celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave. We thank you for bringing your friends and your family. Uh, we see so many of my family and friends. Thank you for being here today. What a privilege and honor it is to stand in this place and to declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Thank you for being here and as we join in to celebrate our Lord and Savior. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Romans 6, verse 1. But if it's okay with you, I'm going to begin by sharing a story with you. There was once a mom who was walking through her house, and she walked by her teenage daughter's room, and something caught her attention. So she went back to examine it further, and when she went back, she looked at her daughter's room, and something was different. Everything was in its place. The floor was vacuumed. The clothes were in the hamper. All items were put away. The bed was made, and the pillows perfectly placed. The mom knew something was up. And so she, she, as she was examining the room, she noticed a note on her daughter's pillow that said, To Mom. So she opens up the note and begins to read the letter, and it goes like this. Dear Mom, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I decided to elope with a guy I met online. I'm currently pregnant with his child, and I wanted to tell you in person, but I knew you wouldn't see him in the way that I do. All you would see is he's 25 and I'm 17. All you would see is his piercings and his tattoos. But I want you to know he is a really good guy and a hard worker. And I'm sure he will find a job in spite of his record. He has his own place. He has his own garden where he grows his special plants. We both want to have lots of children as soon as possible. So as soon as I have this child, I will come back and you and dad can meet your grandchild. But for now, goodbye. Love, Macy. P.S. None of this is true. I'm currently at the neighbor's house. I printed out my report card and left it on the table. When you see my grades, remember there are worse things in life. Please text me when I can come home. <laughs> Sometimes things sound really bad until you hear the rest of the story. That what you once thought was so bad is no longer bad at all. That is the way it was on the first Easter when Jesus arose out of the grave. 
When he, when they go to the tomb, in their mind, they thought Jesus was dead. All hope was gone. They were living in depression, frustration, dismay, but they hadn't heard the rest of the story. <laughs> Fact is, it wasn't as bad as they thought. Actually, it was really good news. So good of news that it is news that we still celebrate today nearly 2,000 years later. For we have gathered together in this place to celebrate the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the day that death has died for all who believe. And that's why we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. Paul is writing, here in Romans, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. He's explaining an offer that is made available to them from Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. And so far what he has shared to them is this, that we are more sinful than we could ever imagine. You see, we can never fully understand how sinful we really are because it's all we know. We're born in it, we live in it, and then we die in it. We can't fully grasp how sinful we really are because we don't know what life without sin is. It's kind of like a fish doesn't know what it means or fully knows what it means to be wet because he's constantly in the water. Humanity doesn't fully understand the magnitude of our sin. But Paul, in the best way he knows how, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shares with us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of our sin, the penalty of our sin, is death and the wrath of God for all of eternity. But then in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to get to our text in just a moment, but Romans chapter 5, right before our text, it says this in verse 8, But God demonstrate His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to share with the church what Christ has done for us in our place on the cross of Calvary. He shared with them that He has made a way for us who are guilty in our sin to be made innocent before a holy and righteous God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is sharing with these religious people that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That salvation is Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And that when you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, the Spirit of God will come inside of you and change you from the inside out. And you will no longer be who you once were. And now we get to our text in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you would stand to your feet in honor of reading of God's most holy word. The word of God says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To gather in your house with this, your people. To sing songs and give praise to your most holy name. And now as we have read your word, we pray by the power of your spirit that you'll speak to our hearts and lives. Bind Satan from this place and have your will in your way. For it's the most powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. So Paul, in his letter that he's writing to the church at Rome, has made it undeniably clear that we are saved by grace, that is a gift from God, and not of works or human achievement. He's making that clear, but he also knew by sharing the gospel of grace that we're saved by grace, not by works. He knew there would become, or there would, there would, an objection would come, saying, wait, 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 wait. By you teaching that the gospel of grace is by a gift, nothing that you do, but what God grants and gives to you, then that means you're teaching a gospel that leads to more sin. Because if you believe that you're saved by God's grace, that means you'll continue in your sin and saying that that means that just more God's grace is applied to you. And so he writes and he shares with them in the most strong, in the strongest language he knows how to muster up. And he says, certainly not. Some of your translations may say, may it never be. What he's doing from the get-go in verse 1, he's saying any gospel that suggests that we continue to live in our sin is, is, is not the gospel at all. He, he's rejecting any suggestion that the gospel that saves us leads us to more sin. And so he makes that clear in two ways. First of all, he says you are not led to sin as a believer or further in your sin as a believer because, number one, you have a new life. You have a new life that is in Christ Jesus. And that's what he begins to share with us in this passage, that as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have now died to sin, and now you've been raised to walk in the newness of of life. That's what it says in verse 4. That now you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has entered into you, and the Spirit changes you, and you are no longer who you once were. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what that means is in the moment of salvation, our old sinful self was crucified with Christ, that is united with Christ in his death, is what our passage says. And then, just as our old self is united with Christ in his death, our new self, verse 5, is telling us we are united with him in his life. Meaning that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gives us a new life. That the Spirit of God now lives inside of us so that we may walk in newness of life. Verse 11 says, The old self has died to sin. No longer is Satan in sin the ruler of your life. No longer does he reign in your life. But now you are alive to God to follow Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Therefore, no sin, no sin no longer reigns or rules in your body. That is, we do not go on using our body as an instrument of sin, not an instrument of unrighteousness, but instead we are used by God as an instrument of righteousness, for we have new life. Does that mean a Christian will never sin? 
by no means. We are not saying that a believer who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life, that he will be perfect. You see, there are still times we mess up. There are still times we fall, sometimes miserably. Right? Why? Because we still wrestle with the flesh. We still wrestle with this flesh and the sin that we struggle with. And we won't fully experience all that Jesus has promised in salvation until Jesus returns and calls us home and we meet Him face to face in a place called glory. You see, in that moment, we will receive a new body. We will no longer, and in that moment, we will be completely, fully, totally, wholly be made new. And we will no longer sin. We will no longer die. We will no longer wrestle with the flesh. Because Jesus will give us a glorified body, and we will live in His presence for all of eternity in a perfect place with our Heavenly Father, Jesus. But until then, until then, there are times when we sin. But as a believer, when we sin, the Spirit of God will convict us of our sin. There will be guilt, shame, and depression because of our sin and cause us to repent and turn from our sin because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. You see, the Spirit of God gives us a desire. No longer do we have the same desires for the sins of the world like we once had. Now we have a desire to follow God and to please God with the life that we live. And the reason why is because the Spirit of God lives inside of us and we have been given a new life in Christ Jesus. But not only is there a new life, number two, it's because you have a new Lord because you have a new Lord. Paul says you were once slaves to Satan and sin. What that means, at one point in time, when we're born in this world, we were born sinful, is what the Bible says. We were born sinful. And that means our Lord was sin, Satan, and our selfish desires to do whatever pleases us. That was our Lord when we were born into this world. But when you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, the, there is a new Lord that governs and directs your life. And it is Christ Jesus who is now your master. And now our life is spent following Jesus. And there are many people today who say they are saved, that say they know Jesus as Savior of their life, but they're not following Jesus as Lord. And what the Bible says is that is not possible. It's not possible. Paul makes it clear that after salvation, you are not who you once were, that now you're dead to sin, you're alive to God, for you've been changed by the Spirit of God. Now your greatest desire is to follow God and please God. This is true of every believer. My question this morning for you, is that true of you? Is that your greatest desire in your heart, to follow and please God? Do you have Jesus as Savior of your life? And is he the Lord of your life? Does he direct and govern and guide your most every decision? Are you, are you asking God to direct your life? Do you have a desire to follow him, to read his word, to pray unto the Father? The Bible says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The Bible says, if you, the Bible says that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will love like he's loved. Now, not perfectly. We've already discussed that. You won't be perfect, but there will be, even though it's imperfect, there will be a picture of God's love in you as He has loved you, you will love others. You will forgive like He is forgiven. You will serve Him as He has served. You see, He's speaking to a group of Romans who were trying under their own strength to fulfill the law by themselves to become righteous. And what was happening was they were failing miserably. It was only creating a larger burden because no matter how hard they tried, they only failed that much worse. It only got worse the harder they tried. And so Paul is writing to them, telling them it's not about your efforts, it's about what Christ has done in your place. But you, let me share this statistic with you. Today, there are 77% of churchgoers that believe that you get to heaven by being good. That's what the Romans believed. 
That's what Paul was trying to share with them. They were believing that if they just be good enough, that at the end of the day when they died and they met Jesus, if at the end of the day they had more good in their life than they had bad in their life, then God was going to look down upon them and say, come on in because overall you are a good person. Almost 75% believe that today. But that truth is not documented in Scripture anywhere. You can't find that truth anywhere. It's a truth that we've manufactured in our heads what we want to be true. Because all of us probably think or believe that overall we're a pretty good person. You know how we think and believe that? It's because we look to the person to our left and look to the person to our right and we're like, man, I'm not great, but I'm better than him. I'm not great, but I know I'm a few steps better than her. And we think overall we are a good person. And the truth is, and so many have convinced themselves of this false belief. And my question is, why does anyone believe that? This so-called truth is not documented anywhere in Scripture that we could say, look here, chapter and verse, the Bible says, if I just be good or be as best as I can, then I'll go to heaven. Not one place on planet Earth does that say that anywhere. But 75% of churchgoers believe that. How is that? How is it? I think it's something that has been thought in our minds so long that we think it has to be true. Like we've thought about this and we think this so much that it has become true to us. The only way I know how to explain this to you or illustrate to you, I'll try my best, but it still fell short, but bear with me. Several years ago when my kids were younger, I think it was me and Knox, I took him, I think I was his baseball coach at the time, took him to baseball practice in July, and it was about 8 million degrees afterwards, and he begged me to go by Dairy Queen and get him a milkshake. And I was on a diet at the time, and so I couldn't have a milkshake. He could only have a milkshake. So I'm thinking, this is not good for me, right? But he begged, and he begged, and it was hot, and he played hard that day, so I was like, okay, we'll go to Dairy Queen. And it happened to be around July, and you know how they have those seasonal treats that they offer, and I think it was around the 4th of July, and I think it was something like a confetti blizzard and a confetti milkshake that you can order, and that caught uh, Knox's attention. He said, yeah, Dad, I want a confetti milkshake. And I said, okay. So I go to the window, I order, I said, can, can we get a confetti milkshake? She said, yes. Anything else? Nope, that's it. So we go to the window. I pay for it. And the lady said, here's your confetti milkshake. And she gives me my, my, my change back. She hands me the confetti milkshake. And I go to hand it back to Knox. I say, Knox, I'm on a diet. So I can't have one by myself. But can I just have one drink? He said, yeah, Dad, you can have one drink. But no more. I said, okay. So... I take the confetti milkshake and I drink it and it was the most glorious thing that has ever entered my mouth. I was like, oh, this is so good. Knox, you're going to love this. So I, I take my drink and I'm still now dreaming about confetti milkshake and I hand it back to him and we get going down the road and he takes a couple of drinks and he says, Dad. I said, yeah. He said, this is vanilla. I said, no, it's confetti. I ordered confetti. You heard her say confetti. She told me it was confetti. I drank it and got a drink. It was confetti. It's really good. Give it back. I'll show you. So he, <laughs> good thinking, right? Parenting, one-on-one. -on -one. Give it back. I open it up and look. It's vanilla. What? Like, I just drank it. Like, I had it so ingrained, I had convinced myself this was confetti. She told me it was confetti. I thought it was confetti. I drank it, and I thought I was drinking confetti, but the whole time it was vanilla. In a greater way, that is what many, many, many people have done with a false belief that if I be good enough, I'll get to heaven. We have told ourselves so many times this falsehood that is a lie from the pit of hell that somehow over time we've actually believed that it's true. It's not documented anywhere. 
It's not shown in Scripture anywhere, but somehow we believe that what the Bible says, or what statistics say is three-fourths of churchgoers have convinced themselves of this lie. But God's Word is abundantly clear. Get this. There is none that is good. No, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. The mark, y'all know who the mark is? Jesus. See, that's the problem. He's the standard. I'm not the standard. You may be a good person compared to me, but I'm not the standard. The person on your right and the person on your left is not the standard. You may be a good person compared to them. They're not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And guess what the Bible says about us with all the good we could ever muster up and say, here, Jesus, is this good enough? says all the good we could ever muster up is nothing but filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. says, no, there is none that is good. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death and the wrath of God for all of eternity. What that means is we are at, we are at war with God because we are an enemy of God. Because of the sin and the rebellion that is in our, that is in our life, it puts, us, it, it puts us at war with God. Let me tell you this, that heaven is not a place for good people. Hell is going to be filled with so-called good people. Heaven is a place for forgiven people who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord, I know there's not enough works I can do in order to enter into heaven, and I'm calling upon your name to repent of my sins and place my faith in you. Is, heaven is a place for, for forgiven people. For if you were a good person, get this, Christ would not have had to die. If we were so good overall, then Christ would have never had to die for you. So that's what we must understand. Get this, we were so sinful, so rebellious, that God Almighty had to kill His one and only Son to keep you out of hell. That's how, that's how powerful our sin is, and it puts us at war with a holy God. And I know in 2023, sin is not a popular subject to talk about. It is so unfashionably unpopular. But it's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in the only way in order to enter in the kingdom of God. So repent of our sins. Know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life before it's everlasting too late. It don't make sense if Jesus died in our place that if overall we're a good person. But through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, what the Bible says is we can be restored, made into a right relationship with God. If we repent of our sins, that means turn from our wicked ways, our sinful ways, and now turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, believe in the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're, in your mind, you're thinking, I'm just trying to be good. That's why I'm here today, because be good, that's what a good person does, is goes to church. I want you to know, being good will not get you into heaven. But I want to invite you. Easter is not only a celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also an invitation. It's an invitation from Jesus your Lord, your Savior, inviting you to come. Any and all who will come. What the Bible says is if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That is, confess that He is Lord, confess that you are a sinner, confess that you need Him as Savior of your life. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. You see, you can work right now for all of eternity and it will never be enough to be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But one has come who was fully, totally, wholly righteous and his name was Jesus. Our sin put him on the cross of Calvary, placed him in a tomb for three days. But God raised him from the dead. And what the Bible says, if you call upon his name, you shall be saved. 
And in that moment, the Spirit of God will enter into your heart and will begin a transform from the inside out. You will no longer be who you once were. Paul's message is don't try to do in the flesh what only the Spirit of God can do. Verse 23, the last verse in our chapter, it says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Easter is an invitation. You either celebrate the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of your life and what He's accomplished in you, or it's an invitation. Will you come to Jesus before it's everlasting too late? Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for this time in your word, your time in this house. Lord, we thank you for the Spirit's work. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so very much that you sent your son Jesus to do what we could not do. He lived the perfect, righteous life, died the sacrificial death that we deserve to die, and he was raised to walk that we may have life and life everlasting. Lord, you know every soul and every heart that is in here this morning. We're so thankful that they're here. God, I pray you know their needs, you know their hearts. I lift them up to you and I pray for the one who is here today that is far from you, that is trying to work and achieve their salvation under their own strength. God, I know what your word says in Matthew 11 and verse 28. It says, those who are weary, those who are burdened, those who are broken, come to me and I will give you rest. If there's one here today that needs rest, Lord Jesus, I pray they come before it's everlasting too late and profess you as Lord and Savior of their life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Will you stand to your feet? If you'd like to respond, come forward and I will share with you from an open Bible, tell you more about this Jesus and what he'll do for you. Will you come this morning? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me seated. We do thank you so very much for coming and worshiping with us this morning. Um, just a reminder, a few announcements that this Wednesday night we'll have our Awana and our, our adult Bible study going on. It'll be 6.30. Kids will meet in here at 6.30 for Awana. The adults will be in the fellowship hall for our Bible study, and we're continuing our weekly Bible reading. Um, and so those are the announcements for this upcoming week, but we are so thankful for friends and family that are here today. Thank you. That means the world to us. Thank you for coming and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ with us today. 
pray God's blessing upon you and your families. But if you'll stand to your feet, we're going to be dismissed today. All right, three-year-olds and children's church. Three-year-olds and children's church, you can pick up your child in the fellowship hall, and then under three is in the nursery, um, right, okay, right in the hallway, right through that door. Thank you so much for being here. May God bless each of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Jesse Rogers, would you mind leading us in our closing prayer?